Good evening, Black family. Ace here. Nini had to take her daughter to her job. Seems that car that she got is uh, saw this last leg. Told her don't get that rust bucket. But you, know, you can't tell these young youngsters shit. She had to learn the hard way. Still, her mama had to get out there and take her to work. So it always fell back on Juanita. Her daughter's bad choice in a car. And so she kind of reamed me out because, uh, let me go ahead and take these doggone pills. She made sure that I took my insulin. I was all geared up to go and take care of the lawn. And then I got sick on the stomach. She wanted me to stay in. I'm mowing the grass tomorrow. It's not supposed to rain. It only rained in the morning time. I just now started to feel a little bit better. Still, still bloated. I took the gas X. She said I could take, excuse me, I could take two more of those after I finished eating. done sure take this and then I'll take my sugar before I fire up this blunt oh sorry about that really. I give anything I have Just to hear and interact with my mother and my grandmother. My grandmother was in my life longer than my mom. My mom died when she was 50 years old. Wasn't even 50 a month before she passed on. My grandmother held on until she was 94. We lost her November the 17th of 2021. So, this day doesn't mean anything to me. Because they're both gone. At least I had some pleasant Mother's Days. Because my grandmother, she always got a Mother's Day. She always got a Mother's Day.
I just thought that she would uh she'd be here to bring in my 50th but my grandma used to say when I was a little boy maybe I'll be gone before you're 30. I always say no I don't say that She left me when I was 49. She was scared that I she thought my health was going down because of the stroke and having to walk with the cane and she had passed on by the time I had that operation last October. I'm hoping they didn't fuck me up, but sometimes my back just feels like it's jammed up, you know. I took my sugar first time. I didn't tell Juanita it was 354. It's a little too high for even my liking, but you know the saying. If it's your time. You gotta go, you gotta go. I'm not in any hurry to go. I gotta make sure my aunties and Juanita are right. I don't think I'll make it to 60 though. I'm tired. I'm tired of living in this double standard anti-black nigger hating world especially this goddamn country but i want to live long enough to see this country fall watch these white people lose a fucking mind because they don't know how to adapt to hard times like black people do and got another sale all right two sales work that'll work that's a new needle I should hurt let's see what's it gonna be god damn 336 and I haven't had no damn candy today I guess it's gonna start fucking with me now like it fucked with my mom the sugar does whatever the fuck he wants to do I'm not gonna tell Juanita that number either she's kinda high She got me in here. The AC. It's cold as a motherfucker in here. Hold on a second.
see you got up under your blanket, huh, little? And put a little bit in hers. Put my robe on. So I can kick back in the. Then uploading my brother Lasmore's content. I got to convert it to one of these uh say AV file some file I got converted to MP4 so then I can upload it cuz I definitely enjoy his content Nini really enjoys it too cuz Lasmore doesn't hold it up he keeps it all the way real 100% don't pull no punches and tells it how it is. He should have been my uncle. We had a good, uh, Healing talk uh, meeting yesterday. I didn't record it because I was doing a lot of other things on the side as I was attending the meeting. I'm trying to gather up a lot of uh, Dr. Grant's content. Just the one where he's speaking, not the ones that like he copy somebody else's TikTok. I only wanted his content where he's speaking. We use this new program that Lasmore turned Juanita and I on to. Helps us uh, record the screen and give commentary on whatever's being played. I've never been one to get in front of the camera because I've always been told I'm not photogenic, that I'll break camera lenses or too dark to take a correct picture. Heard all those all my life, so I'm behind the camera, never in front of it. This is probably the best you get, just a voice in black. Little, I know you're not holding that tree. Dog like hordes her tree. Turned over her bed and she had like two of them hid in the crease. You know, it's like a this pillow top bed and like got creases in the you know the corner. And she had two treats in there hiding them. I got some good, 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 good weed. 
since I got everything taken care of and taking the meds and taking my sugar, I think I'll go ahead and I end it here and uh, I'm going to play some Call of Duty. Hayes out. Black people's interests. As a matter of fact, I would say that at the back of the pack, but that would be putting them too far ahead. Because they're not actually doing anything. Case in point here, Jim Crow Joe Biden is doing the commencement here at Howard University. I bring this up because I want you all to be aware of exactly why it is that we run into the kind of trouble that we do. I want you to be aware of exactly why it is that we keep encountering the problems that we do. I want to start tonight with Howard University. I'm going to start there, but I promise you I will not be ending there. This is Joe Biden and a couple of his remarks at Howard University. You know that American history has not always been a fairy tale. From the start, it's been a constant push and pull for more than 240 years. Between the best of us, the American ideal that we're all created equal, and the worst of us, the harsh reality, the racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to stand up for the best in us. To choose love over hate, unity over disunion, progress over retreat. To stand up against the poison of white supremacy as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. We can finally resolve those ongoing questions about who we are as a nation that put strength of our diversity at the center of American life. A future that celebrates and learns from history. A future for all Americans. A future I see you leading. And I'm not, again, exaggerating. You are going to be leading. Again, let's be clear. We come to the fix. For those who don't see, don't want this future. For those who demonize and pit people against one another. Like your ass. Who do anything and everything, no matter how desperate or immoral, to hold on to power. That's never going to be an easy battle. But I know this the oldest, most sinister forces. They believe they'll determine America's future, but they are wrong. We will determine America's future. Easy stomach. Easy. Try to keep yourself where you're supposed to be. No belly flops, back, back flips, or somersaults, please. Easy stomach. Well, that is one set of comments there. That is one set of commentary. And here is another one. In January 2021, I stood in the U.S. Capitol to be inaugurated as President of the United States. Just days before, on that very spot, a violent insurrection took place. A dagger at the throat of democracy. For the first time in our history, an attempt to stop the peaceful transfer of power in this country. They failed. Our democracy held. Again, hope prevailed. And this time, 
I was standing with a black woman about to take a two-mile procession down Pennsylvania Avenue as president and vice president of the United States of America. And who was marching alongside her? The Howard University Marching Band in lockstep in solidarity. And this, if I could sum up why it is that we have had the difficulties that we have had all this time, if I could summarize it in one statement, this is basically it. We sat there and told you that the zenith, the apex, the pinnacle of what we should be expecting is that when his Asian vice president, the Asian vice president, president because before he wanted to split for the black vote she wasn't black she was asian folks in california she was asian before she wanted to run for vice president then suddenly she became black but she has no black support among asians she only has asian support to the extent they can use her yeah. Joe Biden is sitting here saying something that he would never say in front of another audience here, that the, you should be on your feet and clapping because Kamala Harris was there. Was, and you know who was there? The Howard University Marching Band. That's your claim to fame. That's the accolade that you're giving here. The Howard University Marching Band was right there. Let me go ahead and play it again so we can go ahead and ter terminally offend you. He held. Again, both prevailed. And this time, I was standing with a black woman about to take a two-mile procession down Pennsylvania Avenue as president and vice president of the United States of America. And who was marching alongside her? The Howard University Marching Band in lockstep and solidarity. Most of whom cannot afford the dorms, cannot afford where they live, and will not be getting any socioeconomic progress out of this. But you got to take a selfie with the first Asian female vice president of the United States. You got to take a selfie with her. More of this symbolic more of this symbolic gestures. This is how seriously they take this. This is how serious it is to them. And so I've got to sit here and ask myself exactly what's going on here. Exactly whose side are they on and how in the hell is it that this can happen at Howard University in this day and age? And then it came to me, it came to me. I realized what was really going on. Before we get started here tonight, do you all agree with me that there is no part of black empowerment that includes a marching band? Give me the music emoji in the chat room and hit the likes button for me. It's over 3,000 people in here right now in just the first nine minutes of the program. If you agree with me that it ain't about no marching band, Give me the music emoji in the chat room and hit the likes button. So 
was asking myself, how in the world do we get here? How in the world could this happen? And then I asked myself a different question. What's in it for them? What is in it for them? Because if you wouldn't treat a Republican president this way, and Joe Biden has behaved as a Republican for the majority of his political career, why in the world is it you doing these little somersaults and backflips for him? What in the world are you getting out of it? It's not like Howard University has the nicest rooms, nicest doors, biggest endowment. It's not like there's some hot spot for folks to go to here. And of course, we're going into an election year. Of course, we're going into an election year. So for him to do it next year would be a little bit too on the nose. But of course, we got past the midterms. Now he wants to go into an election year. So he realizes his black support is super weak. As you all saw that I posted on my Twitter page, his black support is terrible. Washington Examiner, Biden sees a 30-point drop in approval for black voters. It ain't looking so great out there right now. So what's in it for him? He's trying to get his black support up, which is what we always promised you. Trying to get his black support up. And then you go see this. This is from Howard.edu. President Joseph R. Biden is, inspires hope at Howard University commencement. Hope in what, damn it? Folks, we've been on this train 20 years ago. Hope, what the hell is that? Hope and change, a place called hope. Remember Bill Clinton, a place called hope. Black folk, what in the hell does that mean? When they go to Asians, do they promise hope? Did they promise Asians hope? Hell no, they promised them hate. Hate crime legislation. They didn't promise Asians hope. They promised them hate, as in hate crimes legislation. But they come to us, and all of a sudden, it's about hope. What in the hell does that mean? Can someone define for me the political, political definition of hope? Because I know the political definition of hate crime. I know the political definition of policy. I know the political definition of Second Amendment and First Amendment. I don't know what in the world is the political definition of hope. What part of political policy defines what quote unquote hope is? When tell me the piece of legislation that promises you hope. Because I want to know if there's a place of political legislation that is going to be assuring us that we're going to get hope. I want to know exactly what it is I'm going to be getting. And so far, nobody's told me what it is. So it looks like hope is another one of these intangible, invisible, untouchable, symbolic gestures that doesn't actually mean anything. Because when they talk to Asians, Jewish community, white community, Arab community, Latino community, they don't go and make a whole damn speech about hope. Let me go ahead and make y'all a little more sick here. This was written just yesterday by Howard University. Oh, they're just so happy with themselves when they're at Howard University. Dateline Washington, President Joseph R. Biden Jr. Really? Y'all got to understand, boot-licking niggas. Oh, I said it. Oh, I really did say it. Boot-licking niggas sure do love their titles, don't they? They're giving Joe Biden a title that doesn't even mean nothing. President Joseph R. Biden Jr. As if there was a President Joseph R. Biden Sr. Hello. They poured it on thick. 
you can see just how slavishly devoted they are, pouring on thick. Who else is calling him Joseph R. Biden Jr.? Well, we wouldn't want white daddy to have his feet uncomfortable as he hands us his boots to lick. President Joseph R. Biden Jr. served as the commencement speaker for Howard's 155th commencement ceremony on May 13th at the Capital One Arena. Biden was conferred an honorary doctorate of humane letters. What in the flip-flopping, deep fat fried hell is that? What in the world is that? A doctorate of humane letters? Which degree program is that? Which doctoral program is that? Just before delivering remarks, this year Howard University awarded 1,852 degrees and it hasn't translated into 1,852 economically empowered individuals who are movers and shapers and making things pop and happen. Howard University President Wayne A.I. Frederick, M.D., M.B.A. Oh, hell. Who in the hell wrote this? Brittany Baylor. Okay, oh, Brittany, uh, baby, you're doing too much. You're doing the most right now. You are doing it all. She is doing a hell of a whole lot right now, ain't she? She's doing a lot. She's doing a lot. I wonder who are the other candidates that she beat out to get this little website blog job. Howard University President Wayne A.I. Frederick, M.D., M.B.A. Reminds me of that old Tom Joyner skit. This is the Reverend Brother Pastor Deacon Dr. Doug. And this is the Honorable Reverend Dr. Pastor Deacon Dr. Doug. Reverend Brother Pastor Deacon Dr. Doug, I'm here officiating. That's what that reminds me of. You throwing all these letters up here and whatnot. Doesn't matter if he's incompetent, okay. Howard University President Wayne A. I. Frederick, MD, MBA, hailed the graduating class for their academic success and success that lies in their futures. Quote, an even brighter future lies ahead for our people and our university, and it is all because of this year's graduating class. In your quiet moments, I encourage you to reflect on our university's motto and your personal mission, said Frederick. To persevere under our current global conditions requires more than ambition and personal will. It necessitates a deep understanding of ourselves and the world around us. As you close this chapter of your soon-to-be alma mater, I hope that your education has awakened in you a purpose that will carry you forward in life. Didn't hear nothing about hope in there, except to say, I hope your education that you paid us for. But he's not talking about their hope going forward. Chairman of the Howard University Board of Trustees, Lawrence C. Morse, recognized the 50th anniversary classes of 1971, 1972, 1973, along with this year's graduating class. So you can't just graduate by yourself. You got to be lumped in with the folks from 50 years ago who didn't do a damn thing to help you. Howard University might as well have just started up yesterday. For the amount of assistance and progress and benefit that the current class of graduates have gotten from the class of 1971, 1972, and 1973, Howard University might as well have just started up yesterday because the current graduates aren't getting any benefit from it. You can't show me the Howard Endowment. You can probably mortgage a house with it. 
ridiculous. Okay, I don't know if I brag on that. I don't know if I brag on being uh, being an alumni of Howard. I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if I would. I'd be thinking it over. I'd be thinking it over. Just saying. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that? Okay, they'll get mad at me if I say that. Fine. I won't keep doing that. I won't keep doing it. Fine. <clears throat> just want to give you all a brief comparison here. I just Googled the information. The Howard University endowment is somewhere around eight hundred to $900,000. I'm sorry, $800,000 million. $800,000 million to $900 million. That is the current Howard University Endowment. By comparison, Harvard University's endowment is $53 billion, with a B. Over 52 times their amount. Let's just let that sink in for a moment. Check this next sentence, the next paragraph right here. You take a look at this next paragraph and you see what it reads down here. Alongside Biden, 2023 Howard University honorary degree recipients included, oh, shucky ducky, Jimbo Jangles Clyburn. Jimbo Jangles Clyburn. Well, there it is. There it is. Oh, Jimbo Jangles, front on deck. Right on deck. There you go. South Carolina Congressman, Education Benefactors, Martha and Bruce A. Karsh, Keith Christopher Rowley, Prime Minister of Trinidad and Tobago, A. Eugene Washington, President of the Chief Executive Officer of the Duke, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Duke University Health System, and Corporate Director Barnery Bittery. Pratt Wiley. In his address, President Biden reflected on his experiences as a public defender. What about when he was going after black folk? Did he reflect on that, by the way? And his storied political career. Did he discuss busing and segregation, or did he kind of skip over that part? Asking for a friend. From witnessing the aftermath of the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Did he mention whether he danced a jig or not or made a toast to his friends in Manhattan? To witnessing history as vice president to the first black president of the United States, Barack Obama. I want y'all to think about this for just a few moments now that we've said that. Now that we've said that. If you wonder, if you guess, whether or not American politics is rigged, whether or not American politics is gamified, whether or not American politics is set up. The longest standing politician goes all the way back to the segregation era, has been in right at the seat of power or tenant 
for both of your so-called alleged supposed black politicians at the highest levels. He's been right there next to them in an influential capacity. He was right there next to Barack Obama, basically being overseer. And now he is the plantation owner over Kamala Harris. We're not talking about they were both happening at the same time. We're talking about even if eight years under Obama and then here comes Kamala Harrison, he's right there. Every time you talk about your black politician and the word presidency or vice presidency, there's Joe Biden right there every time. With only a four-year gap between it, he's been the overseer in both of those situations. Now, you mean to tell me that that's accidental? That's accidental there. Nothing crazy, weird, wacky, way out, strange. Nothing weird going on there, right? Everything working the way it should be, right? No problems here. Oh, you just giving out conspiracy theories. All right. All right. I want you all to start hearing those kind of things and seeing those kind of things and taking note of that. At every pivotal point where you claim that you had some black politician in a position of power, there's Joe Biden. There he is. There he is, pulling the strings. There he is, straw and There he is, overseeing. And not just one juncture, but both. You can't mention any of the two biracial black folk. And there's Joe Biden standing over both of them. You reach and tell it to my mom. Thank you, Dick Gregory. Thank you, Dick Gregory. There'll be some folks here who will sit up here and try to argue with it. Okay. All right. Howard University is letting you know when they come down on this. Letting you know where their bread is buttered. They're like, hey, you bad for business, Jason. You bad for business. We're going to let you go. I want to keep going here for a few moments. I want to keep going here for a few moments because I want you to hear the rest of this. In his address, Biden reflected on his public experiences, on his experiences as a public defender and his story political career. From witnessing the aftermath of the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to witnessing history as vice president of the first black president of the United States, Barack Obama, Biden has long been a champion for justice. This is Howard University saying this, that Joe Biden has long been a champion for justice. He also took the time to reiterate his commitment to social, racial, and economic equity. Well, it's an honor to join you here today to receive honorary degree from the Great University. I'm truly honored to be here at Howard. Started 156 years ago by an act of Congress just after the Civil War. Founded on the hilltop in Washington, said Biden, always promoting excellence, leadership, and truth and service, a proving ground for future leaders, trailblazing intellectuals, and the first black vice president of the United States 
of America. We are living through one of the most consequential moments in our history with fundamental questions at stake for our nation. Who are we? What do we stand for? What do we believe? Who will we need? You're going to help answer those questions, he said, when you come vote for me next year. In 2009, while waiting for Barack, I was living history. At the same time, I was reliving it. A vivid demonstration of race in America. Hope doesn't travel alone. It's shadowed by fear, by violence, and by hate. After the election and the re-election of the first Black American president, I had hope that the fear of violence and hate was losing ground. Yeah, Joe, concerning the fact that you sowed a lot of those seeds. You just reap the harvest you've been going for there. My sincere hope is that each of you finds the sweet spot between happiness and the life of I'll be dead. Y'all want me to finish reading this mess? Okay, I, I'm not going to make it. Forget it. I'm not going to make it. And guess what? I'm not going to make it. Even though <laughs> pepped on dick, I'm not gonna make it. So yeah, y'all can just read what's on your screen right there. You can just read that. Just take a look at that right there. You can read it for your damn self. The sweet spot. What the hell? Just like the Chicago mayor. The illegals, they need somebody to love and hug them. They are looking for love and acceptance. What the hell? The world has become a madhouse. It, it truly has. It's truly become a madhouse. I don't have a nice way to say this. There is no nice way to say this. This is what you get here. What I want to do next, I want to play some audio for you all. I want to play some audio. I played this yesterday, but I want to play it again so we can remind you, because we're here tonight to talk about who is against reparations. We started with Howard University. We're going to finish with Jimbo Jangles. We're going to finish with Jimbo Jangles Clyburn. Jimbo Jangles was asked by our brother Jarrell James if he supports cash reparations. For those of you who may have missed last night's program, strap in. It's going to be a short clip, but you're getting ready to go for the ride. What you say? You want to know if you support reparations? I'm sorry? You want to know if you support reparations? I support reparations. I'm in that name. I need to learn the reparations there. I support reparations, just not in that name. Really? So the main reparations you got a problem with. Tenants of reparations. Darrell James, he y'all when he got tonight, you memorize the talking points correctly, you catch him dead twice. He said the problem is what you call reparations. So Darrell said, okay, that's fine. As long as we get cash pays. No, you don't need cash pays. You need education. We do not need to be teaching this radical LGBT. Jimbo Jangles said it outright straight up. Hell no. No, you get back down, nigga. Hell no. Well, they talk to us all kinds of things. Well, we got somebody else who's going to want to wait in on this. We have someone else who's going to want to wait on this. And on the line right now, I've got our brother Marcel Dixon. He's joining us here live. Welcome back to the Black Channel, Marcel. Okay, Marcel, check your audio. Hello, Jason. Thank you for having me back. 
All right, brother. Well, man, look here. Old Jimbo Jangles is back at it again. Asked about reparations. Boy, I'm telling you. And he just sat there this time and flat out said, hell no. Um, brother, what do you think? There, I'm not surprised, first of all. Um, James Clyburn, as it was recently revealed, even though all black South Carolinians here knew, he works with the Republicans to keep himself in power. It's not to help benefit the constituents that he has in his district, especially not his black constituents. He has the sixth poorest district in the nation out of 435 congressional districts. But he works to make sure that he is enshrined in power. But there's more to that video that I don't think that, that people have not been giving enough attention to. When Darrell pressed him, and Darrell's a part of my Four Corner Society, a group of us reparationists here in South Carolina, and we're pushing to make reparations the number one talking uh, goal and topic for both parties, but especially the Democrats to get 99.5% of our vote. But when Darrell pushes Clyburn on that point, Clyburn then says something that he knows is disingenuous because he watches me. He knows that reparations are not race-based. Clyburn then goes on to talk about his wife and how his late wife, apparently her grandfather, one of them was a white person, which I don't know about that one, but one of them was a white man and one was a woman who was from the African continent. He then goes on to say, how would you decide if reparations then when people have mixed racial lineage. Clyburn knows he's being disingenuous. He knows that reparation is done based on lineage and based on being a black American who's a descendant of American slaves, American freedmen. But I'm not shocked at all at his response. I was actually there when it happened. I wasn't in that immediate area, but I was at the event where the Rail Press was. He was trying to get an actual reparationist in office who went up against Clyburn's puppet and almost won had some of the people I wrote showed up. Definitely, I'm glad that we stayed on the subject of this because now it's, it's gone beyond money that we're spending most of our time trying to protect ourselves from. When otherwise, we wouldn't have to. Exactly. Jason, may I say this point too? We're not powerless. Speaking of Jonathan Majors, I don't know what's true, what's fact, and what's fiction, but I do know if. First of all, I don't believe in a person being accused of something and we just, because they were accused, we take it as gospel that they actually did of which they're accused. That's not fair. I don't care if you're black. It's been done to black men more than any other woman, but I don't care if you're black woman, white man, white woman. I feel like everyone deserves the due process. However, I don't feel he's getting the due process. People are, he's been accused, and all the evidence that's come forward shows he actually did not do of which he's being accused. But now he's being blacklisted, dropped from holes. But what bothers me the most, Jason, I'm really just been about us a little, is we act like we're powerless. We talk to the line, we get online, everyone says they're former, that they're MMA fighters, they're good at running, they're good with guns. What good is acting tough enough to be tough? We're not powerless. If Jonathan Majors is dropped or blacklisted from your movie studios, then we need to boycott those movie studios, right? may not be the number one movie cards, but we do we are a significant portion of that base the same thing when it comes to the way we're being treated yeah, when people come to me down there and try to complain about stuff i already know how bad things are for us i don't live here i have some you will be the candidate or you will be on the support team for the candidate and they, uh, they can't answer that i leave it alone we are not powerless we may be wealthless 
but we have never been powerless. So we wouldn't be here if we were powerless. We need to use the power and the resources we have to get what we deserve. You know, that reminds me when everybody's been talking about the brother George Wheeler up there in New York. And I was I did a program about this last night. And during that program, I was pointing out to people that by the way, you know this that nobody, no one is invoking self-defense as the argument for killing him. You can't say that he attacked anyone. Everyone admits, no, he didn't physically touch anyone. He didn't do anything. And why did you do that to him? Well, he was yelling threats, whatever the world that means and scaring passengers. So let me get this straight. You're now telling me that if you're a white person and you are quote unquote scared of a black person, that you can now take action and kill them. This is what they're arguing. He just scared us and that gives me the ability to sneak up behind you, not in front of him, snuck up behind him, put him in a chokehold and strangles him to death for 15 minutes. This is where we're at today. And your black political class, including Jimbo Jangles, silent. Not pushing the issue, not saying anything. They're silent on this. This is why we have to have a change. So I'm very glad you gave us a call that's here to join us here tonight, brother. I'll let you have the last word. Thank you, Jason. Just let me say, um, I remember the two guys in Tennessee, the people were saying that they were being theatrical and Tesla and Federal interview one and she asked him like, what's your agenda specifically for black people? And then she mentioned reparations. And he said something like, well, you know, I'm worried about mentioning it. Let me explain to you what they mean when they say that. The reason why James Clyburn is not so strong in reparations. They're saying that because they don't feel there's any support for them to get in power, having reparations as part of their platform. I'm sure even James Clyburn knows that reparations is the right thing to do. But they don't feel there's any support moving forward. When people don't donate to reparations candidates, I have other things on my platform. Yes, I'm not just a reparations candidate. Reparations is the main thing, but reparations is my identifying factor. When they see reparations candidates like myself and a few others run, and they see us getting no support, that just reinforces the belief that they have. There's no validity or no need in specifying. Uh, agendas for civil black Americans, especially reparations, we have to prove them wrong. And we have to show that if you adopt an agenda specifically for black Americans, Freeman, FBA, that there is support in doing that. If not, we're going to continue getting the guy in Tennessee saying, well, I don't hear nobody mention that, so I'm not going to do it. Even though he mentions LGBTQ, which is on time. We're going to continue getting James Clyburn saying, hell no. And right now, as we speak, James Clyburn will be retiring soon, but he's handpicking his successor who's going to have that same dismissive attitude. It is up to us to support people who support us in the show, and it is worthwhile specifying things that are important and due to us. So I'm asking people to please do that. Daniel Penny raised raised $1.3 million to kill someone, to kill a black I was saying this last night that white supremacy puts his dollars behind his words. He doesn't just put his beliefs out there. He knows, okay, when we finish believing, we gotta throw the dollars behind it. So it's believing new bucks. We gotta have it. Because they understand nothing's gonna get done if you don't start moving things. Nothing's gonna get done. It's not enough for you to be on the right side, quote, right side. It's not enough for you to be on the right. You're gonna have to be on the right side of that cash register also. 
Marcel, thank you very much for joining us here tonight. Thank you for uh, definitely, me. and we'll be speaking to you again, brother. We appreciate it. Absolutely here, folks. Like I said, we got to take it seriously. We got to take it seriously. We're not going to get anything done just talking about it. As black folk, we have to understand. I told y'all last night, Daniel Penny's people, they didn't bring hope and change. They brought dollars and chains. They didn't bring hope and change. They brought dollars and chains. They understand, hey, if you're going to get anything done, you're going to have to make some something jiggle. It's going to have to be. So I want all of you to keep that there in mind. If you are so inclined, you can assist our brother with that. Because we are not going to come into our own until we have the ability to do that. We're not going to come into our own until we have the ability to do that. We're going to take a very brief commercial, non-commercial break when we come back. We'll be taking your phone calls and more. Before we do, I want to thank everyone, everyone, and I do mean everybody who has contributed to support tonight's program on PayPal, Cash App, Super Chat, Venmo, my man, Holden King, and the Super Chat. Thank you very much for your support, brother. We appreciate that. With the big B1, as always, also want to send a shout out here to my man, Mr. Baker, Mr. Richburg, and everyone else, uh, Kerman, and everyone else who has contributed to support tonight's program here. Thank you very much for your support. We're going to take a very brief commercial, non-commercial break. When we come back, we'll be taking your phone calls and more. This is the Black Channel. Spirit of 1811 Publishing presents In a world driven by fear and hatred lurks a fierce assassin, the Tarkin. Armed with an insatiable appetite for death and destruction, the Tarkin's mission is to target and eliminate anyone who stands in the way of white supremacy. Enter Akum Jeffers, the fearless counter-racist hitman whose mission is to hunt down and eliminate the Tarpon once and for all. But the Tarpon is cunning and ruthless. Will Akum be able to stop the Tarpon's deadly plot? Or has he finally met his match? The ultimate fight to the death begins now. God Love Us, a novel by Josiah J. Stone. In stores May 22nd, 2023. Everywhere books are sold. Having computer problems? Is your PC or Mac running slow? Need help building a gaming PC? Having problems with your Apple or Android device? Call or text Fix Too Fast. We can fix common and uncommon computer software issues remotely anywhere nationwide from the comfort of your home or business. Are you having hardware issues with your PC or Mac? Ship it to us and we will ship it back fixed. Call 1-877-412-9890 or text 513-440-1646 to speak to a technician. Please visit our website at www.fixtofast.net. Oh. The fuck? Shot Ash Kicking Oh. The shit ain't polished over here. 
Sometimes you act like you do that. So I don't know when this shit's in the raw. My recording's in the raw. Yeah, sometimes. I ain't trying to be like CNN. This ain't no Caucasian news network. This is nigga, nigga, and nigga. But how do we get it? How do we navigate this to be based on workplace? How can we get our house? The concept of this specific thing, Black Eyed Cheese, now on Amazon. Was the best seller to buy to be black nineteen. Black nineteen. Black friends. A brand new This is the Black Channel. I am your host, your brother, your humble servant, the Black Authority, and the telephone lines are now open. The number is 646-787-1933. That's 646-787-1933. Your personal access code. Black is video program. We trust that it's only with this kind of planner today. As always, you're all welcome to join us on tonight's program here. I would like to once again give priority to anyone if you've been to an HBCU. Want to talk about that tonight? The HBCUs, in my opinion, have been incubators of anti-black and anti-reparation strategy. Whatever the Democrats throw down, the HBCUs eat up. Those of you who have been there, those of you who went through those places and whatnot, I want to send a special invitation for you to go ahead and give us a call here tonight as well. The telephone number is 646-787-1933. That's 646-787-1933. Your personal access code to Black Media. And you are welcome to give us a call here. Big shout out to my man, B1 Media is a lifesaver. As always, thank you very much for your support. And to everyone who has helped to contribute to tonight's program, our job here in the New Black Media is to help to decipher these things for you. I was speaking to somebody here yesterday who said they don't even watch CNN and regular television anymore. They don't watch any of that. They wait for us to come on. They wait for us to come on and give the news because we are going to give the story behind the story because it is our job to take a look at the propaganda and decipher it to see how the truth has been twisted or how the, these are facts that have occurred and then the interpretation of them is twisted. Right now, you are living in a panorama. Look it up. You are living in a whirlwind of propagandistic manipulation. They're using words. 
Everywhere they go, they're using words and they're bringing in people. And you think the words mean one thing, they actually mean something else. You're being held to the letter of the law, not the intent of the law. So when we talk about reparations, when we discuss reparations, and then you have a so-called black politician who tells you that he supports reparations as long as you don't use that word. I'm sorry? You want to know if you support reparations? I support reparations not in that name. I support reparations just so long as it's not reparations. I support reparations just not in that name. That's what he said. I support reparations. I support reparations just not in that name. In other words, you don't support reparations. Let me be very, very clear. The dominant society don't change the names. The dominant society brings straight up the middle. This is what you're going to get. This is what you're going to have as black folk. When Jewish people were going for reparations, they didn't call it something else. When the Japanese were going for reparations, they didn't call it something else. You get to us and all of a sudden, we got to call it something else. We got to play the pronoun game. We got to relabel it. And you all know what happens if he forces you to relabel it something else, then what you're going to get is something else. But you will not get reparations. Call America code 480. You're on live with the Black Channel. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, uh, this is Bill. I'm calling Chicago. Okay, Billy from Chicago, west side of the south side. Yeah, north side. Okay, Billy. Here we go. All right, Billy. What's on your mind? Okay. Um, why do you to always misinform your callers because I don't think black people should be focused so much on reparations right now. Black people should just be more focused on how to fix their community and the culture that is destroying the community, not reparations. It is definitely much more important to focus on rather than reparations. And give me the top three things that have nothing to do with our socioeconomic position that we should be focusing on. Well, just currently, I'm not sure if you are aware of what happened in the news today. There's a young woman who was a Chicago police officer who got gunned down by three. Um, that happened. Black, that happened black today. Black. So that and, happened today, um, or that happened last week? That happened today. Okay, thank you. All right, you get your back, get your facts together, get your facts together, get your facts together first. Get your facts together first of all. If you're gonna make up propaganda, get at least try to get the propaganda's facts together first. You need to have the facts together. Okay, here's well, my first thought about it is my first thought about it is, you know, if you're gonna ask that kind of question. Okay, let me make sure I've tuned up your banjo for you. Okay, so you're worried about the tragedy there, the young black female police officer who was killed up there in Chicago. You see that as a black, you see that as an issue of the black community, is what you're saying. Not the Chicago Police Department, but the black, is the black community. It's an issue with the black community. She went, she would basically went home off duty if she just got off work. And three young black thugs raised by single mothers went ahead and gunned it down. That's the culture. 
That's black culture, basically. So matriarchal society, and we need to fix it. We need to start uplifting black men and motivating them to start doing things to promote and uplift their community. Okay, brother, brother, no offense. Do you need some mucinex? Because you sound real stopped up. Every time you call me, it's like your allergies are messing with you. So before we go any further, uh-huh. do you need an antihistamine? Or do you need a decongestant? Sound stopped up every time you call in. Yeah. You could go you could go ahead and just try to mock me or try to use ad hominem. Brother, I'm not mocking you. Do. These jokes write okay. themselves. I'm not mocking you. Well, again, you try to deflect off the issue. Reparations isn't the big thing. It's other things that are focused that black people should focus more on. And I think that you're distracting black people from what's most important to them which is the crime and our and the culture that is occurring in our community. I mean, I hear this all the time. In okay, brother, brother, what do you think about the three black kids who killed that woman in, in Colorado? What were you talking about? There was that rock throwing incident in Colorado. These three kids, these three black kids set up here and threw some rocks off a bridge and this woman was driving along and got killed. Are you going to say that's a community issue also? Three black kids went ahead and I mean are you gonna say that's I'm not sure that's, that's not a juvenile delinquency issue, you're gonna say that's a black community issue. It, you see you're trying to forget about I'm talking about the specific issue. Okay, I'm talking about okay, you, you just right named now. three you just named three black teens in Chicago. You said they killed a the police officer. Got it. What about the three black teens? It's not, what about it's not the three? Like what about the it's three black teens? Okay, but sir, what about the sir? We're not going to talk over the host, sir. We're not going to talk over the host now. You're not that deep. You're not that congested. We're not going to talk over the host. Colorado, three black kids threw rocks off the bridge. This white woman who was driving along got killed. Now, are you going to say that's a community issue or that's a juvenile delinquent Um. It's a community issue. Basically, they're black. They're more than likely they're raised by single mothers. I'm very so glad. I'm very glad. I'm very glad you said that because Joseph Coning, Nicholas Kulichik, and Zachary Quack were three white teenagers who, on May fourth, just a couple of weeks ago, threw some rocks off of this overpass, and a 20-year-old woman driving along named Alexa Bartell was killed. Well, they did. They used rocks. They didn't. Use okay, rocks. so so that's okay. So so it, so it matters how you kill them. So if they had thrown rocks at the Chicago police officer, that would have been okay. They were not intentional. They had no intention. Okay, okay, yeah. so okay, you can't you can't prove the three teens. You can't prove that, sir. You can't prove that, sir. You can't prove intent. You can't prove intent. You mental midget. You can't prove intent. I highly doubt when people want to go ahead and throw rocks, they want to kill them. Okay, sir, you, Come on, you have no proof that they didn't. You're, tr- you're trying to deflect all the No, issues. sir, what I did was I just story. I just gave the exact same scenario. You said three kids killed a black woman in Chicago. They're black. Oh, they're thugs. Three white kids in Colorado. Well, what did they use exactly? Oh, was it rock? I'm sure they didn't mean to. Brother, let me tell you, you've earned tonight's theme song for you. Go ahead and get your thistle out. Go ahead and shine up your tap shoes, brother.
needs white supremacists when we got fellas like him? Who needs white supremacists when you got folks like Nigerians? I think you're the white supremacist because you're ignoring the true issue that is facing the black community right now. Okay, so so when something like this happens, it's a community issue. When it's white, when it's three white kids, a gang of white kids do the same thing. That's not a white, that's not a community issue. Boy, he's stuttering. Did y'all hear him? He's flustered over here. It's not good. Boy, he's flustered, ain't he? I mean, he's getting cool tongue tied. Tap dance tongue tied. I think you're a psyop, man. I think you're just trying to. I think you're an agent of white supremacy. Brother, you think I'm a side. You think I'm a psyop, and I think you're a sinus, is what I think. You're absolutely wrong, but I think you start start setting your view and go about the the real issues that are that. And I think you need to start taking some big steam treatments, is what you need to Thank you very much for giving us a call here tonight. Yes, I am. You're assigned us while you sit here talking. What the hell is wrong with this guy? Somebody let him out tonight. Call Miracle 347. You're on live. The Black Channel, what's your name? What you call Oh, man. What's up, man? This is Jarrell from Jamaica, please. Uh, Jarrell from Jamaica, please. Oh, I don't know how you... I don't know how you have to do this. Uh... understand something real real quick here because these things are not put in their proper perspective when now did you say you went to an hbcu yeah i went for one semester i, I left after the first semester like 2012. okay which i got up out of it you went, you went back in 2012. Which school did you go to? yeah Delaware state university okay. and um like i say i mean uh, as far as these students and whatnot there, you're saying that they were not really, were they, did they come there with the idea or intention of, of improving themselves for the benefit of the black society? Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to sit in a lot. I met a, a couple of people, but they weren't the majority. The majority, was, it was a party school. And I, as the semester progressed, I realized I was paying all this money basically to come to the hood. Like it was just everybody from, you know, black communities all over, they came in and was like, oh, let's just turn up because you're away from our parents or our guardian. Well, so I want you all to think about this. I want to put this in perspective for all of you right now. To anyone who wants to slip here and tell you, I'm going to drop some heavy business on y'all tonight. You're about to get a whole new talk. If you all say, let anybody tell you that we shouldn't get reparations because it's been too long. All the folk who are involved are dead and gone. 
There's no reason for you to be getting some preferential treatment. It'll cost too much. It's been too long. You shouldn't get no preferential treatment. It's been too long. Those are things that happened a long time ago. It's been too long. I want you all to keep one thing in mind. The Trail of Tears, which was the largest human mass forced migration probably in world history and certainly in North American history. That happened in 1838. Say it again. That happened in 1838. The first Indian casino in America was the Seminoles down in Florida. That was 1979, 140 years later. Now you think about that for a moment. There wasn't a single person who was still alive who had been affected by the Trail of Tears. Not a single one. And yet Indian casino after Indian casino has been getting help special dispensation and everything else. And since 1979, 1979 was just the first. That was just the first one. And they've been rolling and rolling and rolling ever since. Let me remind you again, not a single $5 Indian, $10 Indian or pure blood Indian who was affected by the Trail of Tears, not even their children were still alive by the time you get to 1979. Not after 140 years. And yet, they started 140 years later. You show up and now they're telling you what you don't need to get and what you're not supposed to have. But they're not saying that to these white folks masquerading as criminals and children. That's what they're not doing. Several Indian not saying that to them 140, and at this point now, y'all do realize we're going on 200 years later. You do realize we're now going on 200 years after that. While they're telling you what you don't need, and your HBCUs and your schools, they do not teach you all the very simple arithmetic that I just did tonight. I'll let you have the last one. Thank you very much for giving us a call here tonight. Trust me, even if his eyes aren't closed, I assure you his nose is. Call him Miracle 773. You're on live with the Black Channel. What's your name? We call him. Coach, he's for the place to be. He won, brother. I'm from Chicago, New York. So. All right, brother. Coach, he's outside of the west side. South side. All day. South What's on your mind, brother? Man, it's, it's, every time I hear somebody from the north side of Chicago speak, it's like it's throwing me off because it's not a, a real representation. And I just wanted to mention to you, you know what I'm saying? A lot of the people on the north side, that's where you find the most integration in Chicago. Chicago was completely segregated. But the people on the north side, I don't know what came first, the buck breaking or, or just being Gucci bandits. But everybody on the north back in the days, that was where the fags were. And you know what I'm saying? Maybe that's why they integrate like that. And maybe that's why the way they clean like that. I don't mean to say fags. But 
Well, he's, he's part of the immigrant. He's part of the immigrant class, so you know what he was told. Man. You get over there. You do not go on that south side, and you do not go on that west side. You go up here on the north side. There's plenty of white people for you to be there. So that's where you go. And that's and this. This writes itself. Yeah, it's all goofy stuff. And the last thing I want to say, though, as far as the people saying that reparations are so far back in time, the reason. Morning, Black family. Hayes here. Nene went down to go and get Venus. She didn't want to come inside. What's up, little dog? Hey there, sweet peas. How you doing? You want to come back inside? Yeah, I heard you out there barking, playing in your yard. You got a whole backyard. What's up, Lily? I'm not ignoring you. Oh, I'll say, wait a minute. You messing up my recording. Shut your ass up. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. What's that old song from everywhere around the world? They're coming to America, and they're coming, and coming, and coming. Well, actually, they're mostly coming from south of the border. Now, let's be clear about one thing. Neither of the two major parties wants illegal immigration stopped. They certainly don't want it stopped yet. When you hear about things like Title 42 expiring, etc., DACA, Dreamers, etc., keep in mind these are just titles that are used to give some sort of form to the skirmishes that the two major parties have over their generally shared policies. The white right serves corporate interests. And they want illegal aliens as a cheap source of labor and to expedite their little financial industries like wire transfers to the third world, etc. The white left, on the other hand, see illegal aliens as a replacement constituency for black voters who, as of late, have proven too demanding and disobedient. So neither political party has an incentive to actually stop illegal immigration. What they do want is to contain some of the messy optics, though. If the Republicans actually wanted to do something about illegal immigration, then they would pass harsh laws to criminalize giving illegals bank accounts or renting them apartments or any accommodations or allowing them to do wire transfers and then aggressively go after the people who are usually white corporations, by the way, who are giving economic means to sustain themselves to illegal aliens. Now, keep in mind, in both Texas and Florida and a couple other states, Republicans had no problem passing laws, making it where citizens could go ahead and sue third parties for things that did not directly impact them. They didn't have a problem with doing that when it came to things like critical race theory or abortion. But when it comes to illegal immigration, all of a sudden the Republicans decide, well, uh, we don't want just anybody to be able to sue over that. It's better if the state has a monopoly on that one. Yeah, the Republicans would like a monopoly on that one because otherwise their big donors would find themselves being dragged into court for the mess that they've made. The economics of illegal immigration have been far-reaching, and they are pervasive through every level of government. At the local level, you usually have people who are working as landscapers or in cleaning services or what have you. At the state level, they usually work construction, and at the national level, you have the Walmarts and the agribusinesses who employ them by the thousands. And they can do it without fear of prosecution, because nobody in government is going to start putting these crooked businessmen in jail. So please understand that as both of the major parties see it, the influx of illegal aliens is a solution, not a problem. 
DeSantis, for example, was all about the PR stunts, using his press conferences as a feeble platform to try to get himself some quickie headlines. But what did he actually want to do about the polls? He put together a phony elections task force and his bail post, but I doubt that those measures have stopped even one illegal from entering the country. DeSantis is not a border governor per se, but his state still acts as a nexus between the U.S. and a number of countries, and they have a large number of illegal immigrants on their own. So why isn't he bragging about putting together an internal immigration task force like he did when he was lying about election fraud? He was very eager to announce that they had dozens of black people who they were targeting to be arrested for allegedly voting illegally. But that stunt blew up in his face. So does DeSantis really want to do anything about the border, or is he still just looking for another false pretense to get himself on Fox News and try to raise his feeble credibility long enough to get himself into the presidential sweepstakes? Judge him by his actions, not his words. Busing migrants to Martha's Vineyard gets headlines. But after that, then what? I'm sure you've heard the old expression that the Chinese ideograph for crisis is a combination of two words, danger and opportunity. So when these people talk about the border crisis, well, as Rahm Emanuel would say, never let a good crisis go to waste. And indeed, they haven't. Both the white left and the white right see this issue as a way to supplant the black vote and any black economic threat in general. About the only halfway intelligent thing officer Eric Adams of the NYPD has said is that he's sending illegal aliens in New York upstate to the north where Republicans are Apparently, they don't appreciate that. And while it's good to see them still in their own juices, that really hasn't gotten that much attention. Nor the huge groups of illegal aliens who have been put into black neighborhoods, and you have black people complaining about this, and where are your so-called black leaders at? Oh, that's right, they're busy trying to make these cross-racial alliances. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, you got Nuri Martinez and her naughty pals talking about black people like dogs. And while it is amusing to see the Republicans getting a taste of their own medicine, the truth of the matter is Officer Adams and the white wealthy money interest funding him want the population of New York to go down, at least everyone who's not absolutely essential to the functioning of the financial sector. They want to downsize New York City, take a bite out of the Big Apple. And they're not alone. An unpleasant reality that nobody really wants to have to face is that what's happening is not due to political repression. That's not where these caravans are coming from. These are failed states, and rather than stand them back up on their feet, a lot of the people from those places have chosen to flee. The vast majority of the people who have come to the United States in the last 50 years are not political refugees at all. They're not fleeing any sort of persecution. What they heard, though, is that if you claim political refugee status, if you claim you're being persecuted, then that makes it where the gears of deportation come to a halt, and they got to look into it. By the way, you'll see all kinds of articles and videos on the internet showing people doing the same thing in places like Australia and Britain and Canada and what have you. This is just a standard operating procedure. You're trying to find a pretense to get in. Some means to make it where they can't just send you back home on a reflex. Something that makes it where they have to let you stay, even if only long enough to make some sort of claim. People have heard this long enough, and that's exactly what they're doing. These are not political refugees, though. These are economic migrants. Now, economic migration is a bad idea because it means that the countries that the people are coming from have no incentive to make any changes. As black Americans, nobody, absolutely nobody on the planet has had it or does have it as badly as we do. And yet, we haven't fled. So what's the difference between us and everyone else? 
We stood our ground and continued to. We were not looking for a safe haven. We decided that we were not going to be a product of our environment. We wanted our environment to be a product of us. You probably heard me say that social trends tend to follow economic ones, but economic trends tend to follow political trends. And what does politics mean? It means the distribution of power among a given group. And it's cyclical, by the way. Social trends follow economic trends, which follow political ones, and so on. The conditions in the society will cause people to either want to reinforce or to change the society. And that will require a change in the distribution of power. Now, once people have made up their minds to change the distribution of power, that will require resources. Resources are essential to change the society and to sustain the changes which are made. Now, once that happens, you're going to have people who are either going to want to change the society further or to keep it as it is. And so the cycle repeats itself. And that doesn't even account for the competing interests that a society has, because not everyone in the society believes or wants the same thing. Now, in the U.S., you've had a dedicated group of ex-slaves who have fought the battles to change the society. But there's also been a dedicated group of white supremacists determined to stop, if not slow, the progress that we've been attempting to bring about. To make this happen, to slow that kind of progress in any society, you have to make the social infrastructure more complicated. And that means the use of buffer groups. Buffer groups create these nexi, these centers of opposition against whomever the forces of change are in the society, so that they are not just facing the establishment alone. Instead, the forces of change have to fight the establishment and a constellation of other groups and interested parties who claim that they aren't on the side of the establishment, and yet who spend most of their time fighting for that very establishment. It's a stratagem as old as the Romans. Last week, we talked about the Latino neo-Nazis and the origins of anti-blackness in Latin culture. If you have people trying to move the society in a forward direction, then you have to find a way of diluting their electoral and political power. And that means either you bring in or otherwise you have to introduce into the society more people who are going to disagree and otherwise pull against these forces of progress. White power isn't keen on bringing in people from south of the border, but the racial paradigm in Latin America is like the U.S. with the Blanco ruling class at the top and everyone else under it. So as far as the white supremacists are concerned, with the exception of the fact that they speak Spanish, it's a distinction without a difference. White supremacy is nothing if not able to adapt. The white media created a term meant to sound flattering, but it's actually a backhanded compliment. That term is model minority. You've probably heard it said in relation to Asians, for example, but you will see it apply to the people coming in from south of the border soon. Now, the term model minority might seem to some people to be the ethno-equivalent of saying model citizen, except that's not what it means at all. Under white supremacy, so-called minorities are not full citizens. You have to be white for that. In this society, model minority is actually far more analogous to model prisoner. It's not a term meant to praise someone, because nobody from the dominant society aspires to be a model minority. It's just a pat on the head, meant to say, you're a very well-behaved little boy. It's a reflexive term, meant to make those who are called it think that they're better than black people, because that's how it's usually used. Whenever somebody uses the term model minority, surely as night follows day, it will immediately be followed by, or preceded by, you're doing better than those black people over there. Hence, you're a model minority, etc. This is a key component of white power placing buffers between itself and those who intend to change the society. 
It's a tactic as old as the Romans. White power gives tangible and psychological benefits to those it wants to recruit. Now, of course, it has no permanent plans for any of them, but nobody who goes for the siren song or white supremacy ever wants to accept that. Model minority means a non-white group who white power believes won't change the status quo. And that happens to be the number one driver of why it is that both political parties don't actually want to do anything about the border at all. They just want to appear as if they want to. Well, that might be what white power is about to try to throw people off its scent, but we're not fooled. We must maintain the truth of who we are and what we've done and what we're owed. Remember, white supremacy is global. People from outside the U.S. may claim that they don't owe reparations, but the fact is they came here to get a piece of the unprecedented wealth that we created. So they volunteered to pay those reparations. No different than if I, as a black man, immigrated to Germany. There's no way in hell they would let me get away with saying, well, my taxes shouldn't go to pay Holocaust reparations, because after all, black people had nothing to do with it. Immigrants never object to Holocaust reparations or Native American reparations or reparations to Japanese Americans because white power told them not to. They only object when it comes time to talk about black people. And then you have people like Alexandria Ocasio-Horseface who say, well, if black people get reparations, Latinos are owed reparations too because reasons. When somebody volunteers to go somewhere, they're not owed reparations. If you roll the dice on the U.S. being a great opportunity for yourself and then it doesn't work out, you're not owed reparations because you chose to do that. People who are damaged through no fault of their own are owed. And we have to make sure that distinction is made and maintained. When people make common cause with white supremacy, then the same criticisms and accusations that are leveled at white supremacist society also applies to them. There are countries in Latin America who have been made to promise land and other tangibles to their black populations. And the people in those lands took inspiration from our struggles and our efforts, and I'm not mad at them at all. But we have to have our own interests to pursue. And just because we demand that the dilution of our voting and economic power be stopped doesn't mean that we're down with the GOP. It simply means that this is an important issue for us, and if either of the two major parties wants to get serious about it, then that would merit a serious look. Though that's probably about all it would merit. The white right will never get a full head of steam about immigration because for them, the migrant caravans have been good for business, so to speak. They want the racist rooms who formed their base to be angry about it and scared of it. But they also want them to keep coming back over and over to vote for them over and over again. So that means paying lip service to enforcing the laws on immigration, but never actually doing anything substantive about it. For the American right, Illegal immigration is far more valuable as a continuing problem, quote-unquote, so that they can campaign against it, as opposed to a political accomplishment that they could brag about if they actually did something about it. For the left, it's a great way to leave the illegal aliens in a bit of political limbo, so that they'll be thinking about getting into the good graces of the white power structure, and that way they won't have to worry about deportations, and they can also see about bringing family members over. Neither of these are outcomes that are in the interest of black power because neither one has us in mind. We don't have any friends, so we're free to speak what is solely in our own interest. And that's a good thing, because while people are talking about border walls and closing the points of entry over here, in the black grassroots, we shut the door on waiting for allies a long time ago. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Ruger, James, Loris Bodden,
Frederick Dawkins, and Bobby Williams. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.